Good afternoon. I'm delighted to be joined today by Canadian pastor Arthur Podlowski. Um, UK column viewers will know and love Arthur from his resistance to tyranny, ongoing resistance to tyranny, in Canada. And he, he was one of the beacons of hope in the darkest days of the COVID lockdown. We've interviewed some of the other ones. Um, musician uh, Brad Skistimus, who, who provided the soundtrack for resistance to COVID tyranny, was one. And um, we've, uh, we've had a very small number of outstanding medics and politicians and pastors on to talk about how they resisted the lockdown, how they resisted the tyrannical government, and how they resisted the pressure, the intimidation that came with it. Um, but of all the memorable pieces of resistance, uh, Arthur's responsible for perhaps the most single memorable phrase, a phrase that was so good that it probably got him in a great deal of trouble because of its accuracy. Um, this is when he threw the uh, authorities out of his church, and uh, we have a clip. Please get out. Get out of this property. Immediately get out. Okay. Get out of this property okay. immediately. Out. I don't want to hear anything. Out of this property immediately. I don't want to hear a word. Out. Out. Out of this property immediately until you come back with a warrant. Out. 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 Out of this property. Immediately out. Immediately go out and don't come back. Don't, I don't want to talk to you. Not a word. Out of this property. Out of this property. Immediately out. I don't care what you have to say. Out. Out. Out of this property, you Nazis. Out. Out. Gestapo is not allowed here. Immediately, Gestapo is not allowed. Out. Do you understand English? Get out of this property. Go. So go. Go. And don't come back without a warrant. Out, Nazi. Out. Out. You understand? Nazis are not welcome here. Out. And don't come back without a warrant. Do not come back without a warrant. You understand that? You're not welcome here. Nazis are not welcome here. Gestapo is not welcome here. Do not come back, you Nazi psychopaths. Unbelievable, sick, evil people. Intimidating people in a church during the Passover. You Gestapo, Nazi, communist, fascists. Don't you dare coming back here. Can you imagine those psychopaths? Passover, the holiest Christian festival in a year. And they're coming to intimidate Christians during the holiest festival? Unbelievable. And, and that, that hugely resonated with everyone around the world who was resisting tyranny. Our audience loved it. Um, I, I particularly like the point where you wouldn't 
allow them to lie to you. I don't want to talk to you, you Nazis. This is this was wonderful. Um, so to start off there, Arthur, um, what was the immediate lead up to those events? Well, my ordeal started years before. I'll just give you a little, you know, a history. I, as you can tell, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain under the boots of the Soviets in Poland. So, of course, being a Polish citizen, I've heard about the Nazis, fascism. I grew up in a city with a concentration camp, playing as a kid in a in the bunkers of the SS. So history was a big part of me growing up and seeing tyranny firsthand under the boots of the Soviets, seeing solidarity movement, people taking it to the streets and resisting and being shot and arrested, tanks and machine guns, 80, 81, 82. Of course, that built uh, who I am right now. Anyway, we emigrated to Greece and then from Greece to Canada because Canada was offering us freedom. We did not emigrate to Canada for money. We emigrated for freedom. We were told by the officer in the embassy, come to Canada. Canada is the freest country on earth. In Canada, no one will ever persecute you for your fate. And of course, when I walked away from the business realm, I started to work with the homeless people. And that's what I do to this day. That's my 24th year taking care of the homeless. We feed thousands of people on the streets of not just Calgary, but uh, many other cities and on number of continents. So in 2005, I got my first shock when the authorities came and they declared that feeding the homeless is illegal now in Canada, congregating is illegal, having illegal signage, Jesus loves you, that's also illegal. I mean, everything we were doing, preaching was illegal, uh, giving Bibles was illegal, uh, giving free goods and services, prayer was outlawed. And uh, I was the first Canadian to be arrested for publicly reading Bible in 2006. Anyway, that triggered a war with the authorities for 10 years, over uh, 100 court cases, over 300 citations and 11, uh, 11 arrests. So I won in 2015 and those people left me before a few years. And then suddenly an invisible enemy shows up. I'm feeding thousands of people on the streets of my city and the, uh, the, then I received a letter uh, in the beginning of 2020 that I got to shut down my soup kitchen. Uh, why? Because we're in the middle of this pandemic. And so what I did, I replied to them and I said, listen, people, if we're truly in the middle of this crisis, then my services are needed more than ever. What is going to happen when you shut down shelters with those 15 to 20,000 different individuals roaming our streets? They're going to turn into crime. They will whack your mother's head. They will break into cars, into garages, into houses. But no one replied to me even. I sent a letter to the premier, to the ministers, to the mayor. No one cared. They showed up, 12 officers at our church. I am a pastor of two churches. One is called Street Church, streetchurch.ca. That's where we feed the homeless people three times a week. And then I pastor a church in a building. That's the one that you saw me kicking those Nazis out of, of our place of worship three times a week as well. So uh, they started to come with tickets. And uh, the first time they showed up, I became the first Canadian to receive the COVID Nazi ticket in the beginning of 2020. Then they started to show up you know, regularly every time we were meeting, intimidation, attacks, tickets. During that time, I received over 40 citations and I was arrested five times. But the culmination of that craziness, as you remember, happened when the 
federal, provincial, and municipal governments declared that they are canceling Christmas. I don't know if you remember that time, uh, but when they went on television and uh, just a few weeks before they said uh, Halloween is perfectly okay, kids have fun, and then a few days after that, they said, oh, no, we got to cancel Christmas. No one is allowed to see their parents, no dinners, no family reunions. Uh, you can have even a, a brother at your house for coffee. The uh, chief of police, that Nazi guy, I mean, an awful lawbreaker, he's acting like a mafia boss. Well, he says he's going to send the police patrol cars monitoring driveways uh, if you have extra cars. I mean, unbelievable. So what I did, I, I'm a Polish I'm a Polish uh, immigrant. I, I know only one way how to fight. I, I think I have a little bit of Scottish in me and Irish because, uh, you know, it makes sense. So what I did, I invited my friends, my whole family, for the biggest dinner I could have in my home. And I sent them a picture and said, you know, come and get me. Um, well, they didn't at that time. However, when they went on television canceling Christmas, I went on television too. And I said, you devils, I'm canceling you. You don't represent us. And I invited people to the biggest Christmas celebration in the country. So thousands of people showed up. We had AAA stakes. We had gifts for the homeless people. Um, lots of people showed up. And then we had over 100 police officers, 52 police cars, 20 cops on bicycles, anti-terrorists, SWAT team, believe it or not, showed up. Chief of police came. Uh, they had their telescopic cameras. It, it was a gong show. And they came bearing gifts. After all, it was Christmas. So they gave me 15 COVID tickets during that event alone. And we did the unthinkable. I mean, I'm guilty as charged. What we did uh, was horrible. We were told that for just that one thing, the whole city is going to die. We had Christmas carolers. So we were singing Christmas caroling. Uh, it was a great time. But at that time in Canada, caroling was outlawed. You were not allowed to sing. So that's 2020. And then they started to show up in our church. First, they blocked the parking lot. They, they uh, came with the cameras, just recording our children and our women, uh, just to put pressure on the men. And then Passover of 2021, April comes, and they entered the church. They were trespassing. They were breaking criminal code of Canada, section 176, 1, 2, and 3. And they did it anyway, because this is a time of lawlessness. They're telling you you're not following the law, but the truth is they're acting like pharaohs of today and the rest of us, or we're just slaves. So what I did, well, I was preaching on the story of Moses. And of course, if you know the story of Moses, you know that this was a story of let my people go. So when they showed up, I had this on my heart, get out, just get out, you evil, wicked people. Like wolves, I kicked them out. Well, they came back few weeks later, um, they have found, as I call it them now, three crooked amigos, three judges in the province of Alberta. Uh, the first one, David Gates, and I don't know if he's a, you know, related to Bill Gates, that snake, but David Gates, the judge in Alberta, gave them the power to enter our church anytime they want with whomever they wish to enter it, and they can arrest me using any force deemed necessary so the SWAT team shows up well I kicked them again they showed up again kicked them again they've never entered our church um, again we stood at the door and you can kill us you can shoot us 
you can arrest us, but you are not coming in unless you are walking through us. So they didn't. What they did, however, they went to the boss of judges, a second crooked amigo, John Rook, the crook, as I call him, and he gave them the power to arrest anyone, children, men, young, all the entire population of the province of Alberta, if anyone dares to oppose a health inspector. Can you believe it? All your laws, all your rights gone, like during the Nazi, just like during the Soviet era. So they showed up again with the SWAT team, opened the door. But here was a surprise. We had a standing room only. The church was absolutely packed. And they realized it's going to be uh, a, a blood, blood uh, bat here. So they waited for the people to go home. And then we got arrested on a way home uh, with my brother David in the middle of the highway. Yeah, we'll come to that in a moment, uh, the, the arrest. I think it was very striking that they wouldn't arrest you in the church because obviously, I, I mean, that's just an admission as to what they are. Um, and there's not really a, a way around that. So they arrested you on the highway, which made... The, the, the images made you look more like a criminal and then less like the, the bullies that they are. Um, it's very interesting that you started off with your life in Poland, because although I was um, born and brought up in central Scotland, my earliest kind of political awakening was 1981 and it concerned Poland. I, was, I remember following um, the, the, the Gdansk shipyard strike, like Valencia, I, I I used to, as a as a as a lad I would I would write Solidarnosc with a little Polish flag uh, in the margins of my my school jotters, right? And uh, and I was following this intently and was very involved in this struggle for freedom. And then I started to see similar things, less extreme but similar similar issues in my own country, and and became very settled that. The, the state and all that goes with it, um, the intimidation and the, the lack of personal liberty is a threat um, and, that, and that all of these organisations have a totalitarian streak a mile wide. Um, so, you know, in a strange way, I also started with, with uh, the struggles in Poland. Actually, just one thing before we come to the rest. Um, I've spoken to some pastors in Scotland who resisted. Um, they were very few in number. There was 12 churches, a, a good biblical number, but there was 12 churches that eventually took the Scottish government to court and they did win and they got all of the restrictions on worship deemed unlawful and removed. Um, so, uh, you know, kudos to them. But one of them, a chap called John William Noble, who we've also interviewed in the column, um, he stood up and he said very plainly that the churches the broader Christian community need to repent, need to repent of their cravenness, of their cowardness, of their unwillingness to resist, of their willingness to allow the state to be the head of the church and to close churches and to simply meekly comply. And just before we, we go on to your arrest, how much support were you getting from other churches in your area? Well, I will echo the words of your pastor in Scotland, I believe that this was the biggest failure or biggest treachery or betrayal since Judas Iscariot. I mean, historically speaking, the churches have never 
shut down. It didn't matter if it was a war. It didn't matter if it was black plague. It didn't matter if it was leprosy. The churches historically were always kept their you know, doors open and doing the mission, going to all the world and preach the gospel to all creation until now. So shame on those clergymen that did it. However, God spoke to me and he said, well, um, the betrayal is huge. They sold Jesus again for silver coin or a bowl of soup or comfort, whatever you want to you wanna call it. However, just like Peter was restored, now God wants to restore the church. So they failed him globally. I agree completely. However, it's not over. God wants to restore. He wants to build up. He wants to forgive them just like he did with <clears throat> Peter. So here in Canada was no different. I did not receive almost no support from anyone except my, uh, you know, inner circle of people that I regularly work with. Ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of the churches uh, were more than glad to shut down. They received billions of dollars uh, across the country for doing so. Uh, they uh, even went so far that they hired security. And they would not allow people to come in without a Nazi passport. They segregated, separated, muzzled their people. And they were glad to do it because they received so much money from the government. But then when they started to do the, the jobs cleaning, clinics, you know, where, where they were stabbing people with that experimental thing, uh, well, they opened the churches and they were glad to use it because, again, the government was giving them so much money. So I've never, ever historically have seen a bigger betrayal than during that that era so uh, god is shaking the establishment if you will he's flipping the tables on the establishment once uh, again uh, when be, about half a year before this happened i had a vision and i don't have many visions but when i do um I know it's God. So he showed me a fence and people were sitting on the fence. I could not see the end of the fence. And then I saw two powerful hands and I knew those hands are God's hand. Uh, and they, he grabbed the fence and he shook it violently, he kept shaking violently. And I saw people falling to the left and to the right. And he kept shaking. When he was done, no one was sitting on the fence. And then he spoke to me. When I'm done shaking, Everyone will have to choose either me or the devil. So let me just say this to you. I believe that God is coming back. Jesus Christ is coming back. But he's coming back for a glorious church. Not entertainment, not sold for money, not Judas's Iscariots or cowardly, but a church that is glorious. And in order to have a glorious church, he has to allow the church to go through the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the fire, God dealt with their enemies. In the fire, he showed up to set them free. In the fire, they had a testimony. And in the fire was their promotion. So what God is doing right now is purifying his church. And that's a global phenomenon. I, I, I saw it everywhere that the clergymen were more than happy to, uh, to obey the fires of today. But then I also saw a remnant rising up and shining and i will tell you this i know that we will see more and more men and women the the mighty warriors if you will of christ deborah's and esther's and mordecai's and joshua's and caleb's rising up 
and showing us the way. And um, the biggest betrayal since Judas Iscariot, that one we might use in a small clip. I think that's a wonderful way of describing it. Um, on to the arrest. Uh, they waited until you'd left the church and they arrested you on the highway. Um, you got it on tape. We have some film. Here. So, as per the injunction that was served on uh, Arthur here and uh, David back here, I am to place both of them under arrest for breaching the Queen's Bench order. Which both of us under arrest? Yes, sir. Would you please step out of the car? What's your uh, name, officer? Andrews, 5244. Okay. So how do you feel being a Nazi now? And then we got a gangster here. Yes, how do you how do you feel being be a Nazi and breaking the Gestapo? What's his uh, officer? What's your name and uh, I'm number? Asking you. Sorry. I'm what's your name and number, please? Five two eight three. Got the A lawbreaker. You're breaking the charter rights and freedoms. So can you look in your mirror, man? So I have to advise both you and uh, Mr. Polanski over there. You guys are both under arrest. Please, if you would step on the report Open the door, man. Whoa, oh. stop. One of the um, earliest things I did, in fact, the thing that got me into this particular line, speaking on the UK column, was um, following the story of a man called Robert Green. He was uh, campaigning in Scotland to save um, a girl from um, being uh, raped by a paedophile ring, a little disabled girl called Holly, and to save other children from the same fate. And eventually, um, the authorities got sufficiently worried, and he was put in he was put in prison for two spells. Eventually, the second one, I was visiting him and following the case and attending all the the the, the trials. And he was a very he was a Christian man. He was a very gentle man. He was quite slightly built, and he came up um, in a in a court in Aberdeen flanked uh, one on either side by enormous prison officers, right? Big, lumpen people. Um, and he was, um, he was in cuffs, he was in shackles. And his lawyer looked at this site and um, said to the judge, are the shackles really necessary? And the judge looked a bit embarrassed and said to the two guards, are the shackles really necessary? And the two guards looked a little bit embarrassed and took them off. I, and I thought the lawyer played that very well. So here you've got, you've not tried to resist. You've got out of the car when they've asked you. You've not tried to flee the scene. You're not using violence. Why the shackles? Why the rough treatment? Why the kneeling on the wet tarmac? Why any of this? Because presumably if they just said we'd like you to get in the car now, you'd have got in the car. Well, here is um, here is the interesting part of the story that I have been arrested multiple times, 16 times together 
And uh, sometimes officers would just ask me to walk, go to the car, and there would be no scene, there would be no problem. Um, for example, in Canada, the police officers could contact my lawyer. I mean, the lawyers were in communication back and forth with the judges and the Crown prosecutors. They could say, uh, there is a warrant for Mr. Artopoulosky, your client, uh, please tell him to, you know, to come to the police station. And, and that, would be, uh, that would be it. There would be no drama. There would be no spectacular arrest in the middle of the highway. Um, but I'll tell you why they did it. They did it because they were sending a message to other clergymen, to actually everyone in the country. If we can do this to a clergyman, if we can do this to Artopoulosky, we can do this to anyone, to you as well. So you bow before our tyranny or else. That was the message. That's why they were coming with SWAT team. I mean, there was no need for anti-terrorists to come. Um, I have no record of violence. I'm a clergyman. I am doing a public ministry for the past 24 years. They know me. I have been in the city forever, since 1995. I uh, used to own media. I am very well known in the city. I, am, uh, I have been involved in the political realm. I have friends. I was organizing meetings inside City Hall many for many years so they all know me they know that there is absolutely no need for that and there is no violence uh coming from me ever so all of that was a show theater if you will they wanted to send that message they were sending a message but you know what god was also sending a message and that's where the devil always misses the boat because he thinks that he has the upper hand when he comes puffed up as Goliath and circumcised Philistine, you know, um, uttering threats and saying, I'm going to chop your heads off. I'm going to wipe you out and this and that. God allows those people to do those things because, uh, you know, arrogance, pride uh, comes before destruction. But he's also always looking for a man, any man. A man or a woman, is there anyone that is willing to stand up against evil? Is there anyone that believes that I'm bigger than the devil and his minions? He's looking for David. And when the David shows up, um, it's a, a remarkable thing because David doesn't need anything, uh, you know, what the world has, if you will. Uh, what he needs is God on his side, which David's always do, and a smooth stone, whatever God provides. So... When you look at the uncircumcised mountains in your life, you got to remember that on the other side of the mountain is your destiny. If David was not willing to tackle the bear or the lion, if David was not willing to stand in front of this giant of a mountain called Goliath, he would never become a king. So here is the story with the church. Church missed the boat because they needed to show to the whole world that there is a bigger God than all those globalist minions around the world. And they didn't. They got scared. Just like the rest of Israel during the time of David. Where was Saul and, you know, and Nathan? And where was uh, Joab, uh, the general? Where were those heroes, um, you know, in front of the Philistine army? They were all scared to death until David, an outsider, showed up. So as you can tell, I am an outsider uh, in, in this country. 
And I was just simply willing to stand up. Why? Because I know my God. And the two things that I believe the church needs to understand, the two most important things. Do you know who your God is? Do you know how powerful and big your God is? He is the God that raises the dead. He is God that moves the mountains. He is the Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the number one thing. And the second thing that I believe that majority of Christians do not understand is who you are in God. You are the son or the daughter of the Most High God. You are the one that God says great and greater things than I you shall be doing as well. That means we have the government upon our shoulders. We have the authority to move those giants from the land because on the other side is our destiny. So I simply went along. I didn't like it. They kept us three days and two nights on concrete, of course, totally illegal. And then they took us shackled like animals into the, the courts. They transported me upside down, believe it or not, um, a, a total craziness. And that's where I decided to go to the United States for a few weeks, I thought, just to share my story. And then on the way back, four months later, I was arrested at the tarmac again um, because I dared to baptize my daughter in the waters just a few months before. I was charged criminally and then charged again and again and again over 40 times. And then the track convoy came. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You, you, were, you were charged for baptizing your daughter. What was the charge? Being Christian without permission. I mean, what was the, what was the charge? Yeah, they uh, they always have you know they have fancy charges. So, for example, I was charged multiple times for giving free goods and services. So, in Canada, if you give um, a sandwich to a dying kid on the streets in a public street, you are actually committing an offense. When you pray for someone publicly in Canada, giving free goods and services. So as a pastor, as a reverend, if I lay hands on someone and pray in public, I just committed a crime. Um, it's a total socialism here. We are truly living behind the Iron Curtain. But once again, I call it in China the, uh, this time. So they have fancy names for the charges. Um, I was charged with inciting people uh, to come to church, inciting people. Well, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. For a living, I incite people to come to church. I was charged with officiating an illegal gathering. And you got to remember, I am a Polish immigrant that grew up behind the, the boots of the Soviets. And that was the language the Soviets were using, illegal gathering, illegal congregation. I was charged with that here in Canada, officiating an illegal gathering. I was charged with that. Of course, not keeping social distancing, not wearing a muzzle, uh, disturbing peace. Uh, the mischief, uh, they charged me with um, um, uh, all kinds of obstruction, for example. When they have uh, absolutely nothing on you, they will come with this nonsense charges that you can't really, they cannot prove, but you cannot prove as well. Uh, so they play those games. Those are the charges that I have been, uh, you know, attacked with. And when I baptized my daughter, during that time, you were not allowed to touch another human being. <laughs> so I, 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 I was arrested. I was arrested because I dared to touch my daughter. Can, can you imagine the craziness 
that we face. And then somehow all the political parties, all the mainstream propaganda, all the doctors and nurses here in this country just went along like nothing happens. There's nothing to see here. We had uh, cases in Scotland where churches were meeting in secret. It was like, I mean, there's, there's, there's a backstory for this in Scotland. It's called the Covenanters. The Covenanters used to have to meet in the hills around about the towns because otherwise they'd be killed. Um, and uh, they were uh, being persecuted because of their lack of compliance with the official state religion. And um, they, uh, they were resisting. And they had to meet in secret. This came back. There's a little place not far from me here called Vickers Bridge. It's called Vickers Bridge because that's where they hung the pastor during these times um, of persecution. So this is not that long ago in Scotland. And the fact that the churches, for the most part, forgot about this and complied with this was a great shame. Um, but there was a few that resisted. And they were meeting in secret in Scotland. They had to do that in order to worship God. Um, We've got here a couple of clips from Rebel Media of when you were released and when you got some good news from the courts. So we'll run those and then if you maybe give us a, a little bit more of the background on that. How much vindication are you feeling today with the Court of Appeal saying, no, this, this is madness from the get-go? I would just want to scream, finally, Adam. Finally. I mean, I even have, sh you know, shivers here. Like, I uh, look, my hair is standing up. <laughs> finally. After two and a half years of being subjected to tyranny straight from the Soviet Russia, North Korea and China. We are providing necessities of life to those that you and your bosses refuse to provide. You got all kinds of events happening right now. And yet the capitalist finest are not bothering them. This is the hypocrisy of this city. This is the hypocrisy of our wonderful fearless leaders. Where is Nahat Nenshi, the mayor of this city? I mean, what they have done to me, my brother David, so many arrests, solitary confinements, sleeping on concrete, like the arrest after the Germain or the uh, John Rooks order and David Gates. Um, we spent three days and two nights on concrete. I don't know if if people can comprehend what I'm saying, but that's no fun. And especially the, there, there's no fun in this if you are innocent, if you have done nothing wrong. What did I do, Adam? Mm -hmm. I just did what is a definition of my job. I'm a pastor. I opened the church. Well, I incited people to come to the church. That's what I do. I want people to come to the church. If you're hurting, if you're needy, if you're suicidal, if you're depressed, if you're hooked on drugs or alcohol, come. We'll pray for you. We will show you another way and take it or leave it. It's your choice. Uh, so, um, Arthur, the, 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 the legal fight back, you obviously got some traction, you got some support, you got some wins in the courts limited though the courts are in these matters in our country sadly um and we're going to celebrate the wins so uh what what did you achieve there well um originally we lost adam germain the third crooked amigo um found us guilty and said that we had no right to keep our church open and he gave us a compelled speech we were the first canadian citizens uh, ordered by the courts to pirate government, just like you have in North Korea or Soviet Russia or uh, 
you know, China or Saudi Arabia, you must say what the government is telling you to say. The, the judge ordered us that every time we talk to another human being, we must tell the, uh, the, the, the government line. And of course, the first thing that I did, still in the court, I said, judge, I hope you're listening. I'll never, ever obey this order. You can lock me up, throw the key away. I'll never obey your order. Um, my brother David did the same thing, and um, they did not arrest us that day. They waited, and then they arrested us again, coming from a, a protest in the middle of the highway again. So we were charged multiple times, criminally charged, uh, charged without mercy. And um, finally, when we um, filed an appeal, the three judges unanimously came to the same conclusion that everything that was done to us was completely illegal. The arrests were illegal. Uh, the orders were illegal. All of that stuff was thrown out. We were completely vindicated. And of course, that um, didn't resonate with the government well. So they came with a vengeance. When I was, um, you know, during that time, we had rallies 15 to 20,000 people every single week. I have become Canada's pastor, a freedom pastor. And when the truck convoy came, they asked me if I would be willing to officiate a number of uh, services for them and feed the trackers. So, of course, <clears throat> we gladly did it. We fed them in the evening. I did the church service in the evening. Then I did another one in the morning. Off they went to Ottawa. I stayed behind. I, uh, Like I said, I run multiple churches here, and I have been attending every rally. And we had uh, up to 20,000 people every week. So they needed their pastor. And when Milk River and Coots, Coots is a, is a border between Montana and Alberta, where I live, when I was asked to go and do series of church services to the farmers and truckers there, of course, I gladly went and did it. I took my son, Nathaniel, and then I took my worshiper, and we had Lord's Supper there, and we had hymns singing and national anthem, and it was absolutely amazing. Here is what I saw during the track convoy. I saw uh, people of every color, every creed, every background, every language, young and old, women and, and, and men, uh, families bringing their children, their horses, their dogs, eating with each other, praying with each other, uh, just laughing, loving, hugging, spending time. This was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in Canada. The unity was absolutely amazing. The peace that was coming and joy. People were crying. And of course, they needed their pastor. So I did a church service. And then our CMP was there. Our CMP is like Canadian FBI. So they blocked the streets and um, they recorded me. They took pictures and and they uh, didn't allow anyone to go to another city or town called Kutz, that was a, a point of entry to, to Canada and United States. So I asked them if they would let me in, and they opened the barricade, and they let me in, and I did a church service to the farmers there as well. Uh, we had Lord's Supper, we were singing hymns, we, um, we had a great time, we ate a dinner together, and I delivered a church sermon, uh, a 19-minute church sermon. Here's what I said to the people. Stand up, rise up. This is your land. I told them about Lake Bawensa. I reminded them about solidarity movement that paralyzed the entire Soviet uh, tyranny by just simply uh, non-compliance. Do not work for the fires. And it's over. When you, you, you got the power 
you can stop this insanity now if you will not cooperate with the villains, with the tyrants, dictators. You have that power. And I said, do it peacefully, no guns, no swords. And of course, that resonated with the people. And I went home. No one stopped me a few days later. I was told later that they were parked outside my home monitoring me. I was arrested and the arrest was absolutely unbelievable. It was like a takedown of Escobar, of Alberta, El Chapo, of Calgary, Al Capone. I had a SWAT team. They were detectives, undercover police, Calgary police uniformed units. It was a gong show. They blocked the streets and they arrested me and interrogated me for hours. And later, I was stripped uh, naked, sent to solitary confinement. They took me from my solitary cell. They placed me in metal cages like I learned about when I was growing up under the boots of the Soviets. Uh, incredible things. I didn't know what was going on. They denied my access to my lawyers for three weeks which is, of course, all of the things that they've done is completely illegal. They are the villains. They are the Gestapo SS of today. Uh, they kept me in a solitary confinement for 45 days. And then, believe it or not, they kidnapped me, literally, without the knowledge of my no lawyers or my family. I was kidnapped by sheriffs, shackled, legs the whole nine yards, and taken hundreds of miles away to another city and placed in a max spot. Max spot is a prison for the most dangerous terrorists. I mean, if you're uh, a bloody murder danger to anyone, uh, you will be placed over there. I was the only inmate in the entire prison unit there, freezing conditions. Uh, during that time, already five inmates testified that the guards were giving them incentives to murder me or to beat me up. So I had a half an hour to go out, uh, take a shower, and uh, use a phone. So I called my wife and I said, I don't think I'm coming home. I think they're going to kill me here. It's freezing conditions. They refuse to give me a blanket. I'm shivering. Uh, I can't sleep. I can't do anything. They even would not give me a pen because they said I'm too dangerous um, to have a pen. So I said, they're going to finish me off unless you do something. She called the lawyer lawyer sent a letter to the judge and then that scared them because Riemann Center, the prison here is a private institution. So they were afraid of the backlash. And then if that was not enough of my ordeal, the next day I was taken from my solitary cell to a psych ward without the evaluation of the doctors, without even the knowledge of the Alberta Health Services. Totally illegal. I was placed in a psych ward with a schizophrenic that murdered his brother with a machete. And when I walked in, I saw he has pens and pencils. And I said to him, I, well, I'm so dangerous, apparently, I cannot even have a pen. So he grabbed his and says, you can have mine. I mean, a total insanity how they treat a clergyman here in this country. So I spent 50 days in prison, and then I was released on bail. I am on bail Today, I am on house arrest still a year later. I am not allowed to leave my house after 7 p.m. unless I have a special written permission from my probation officer. My trial uh, happened eventually after a year of waiting um, about three weeks ago. 
at the beginning of um, uh, February, and it truly was a trial of the century. We have a little report. Um, it, it's only covering, I think, the first half of the trial. We'll play that just now, and then you can maybe fill in the rest for us. The only thing that the Crown has presented was my sermon to the truckers and the farmers includes exactly one year ago. What did I say during the speech? Well, I said to the people to stand for the grounds. I told them to do it peacefully, peacefully, no guns, no swords. Now the Crown Prosecutor is um, comparing my speech to Rwanda genocide. I mean, that was a shocker. Well, I ho I'm hoping to be vindicated 100%. I mean, I've done nothing wrong. If this is a trial of the century, if I'm convicted by giving people a sermon from our heart, reminding them of our history of the solidarity movement, if that's criminal behavior, there goes your freedom of expression, there goes your freedom of religion, there goes all your freedoms. What did my brother do at the border? He was called there to officiate a church service. So now you want to tell me that in Canada, uh, you cannot officiate a church service as a clergy? Uh, man, what did he? What else did he do? He inspired the people to stand for their families, for their jobs, for their God-given freedoms. And on top of that, they had a Holy Communion. So what? Uh, Holy Communion now. Uh, if you do it uh, as a clergyman or just a citizen, you're faced with a ten and a half year prison term. It's absolute insanity. So this absolute insanity. You're all the evidence against you was your sermon. That was it. That was the case. Um, and it was like into all these ridiculous things. Um, when you came to make your case, how, how did that go? Well, I have been charged now over 340 times, over 100 court cases, 16 arrests. I have been in the court sometimes more than in the church, believe it or not. Some of my trials were as three weeks long. So I know the system, I know how it works. The shocker for me was that the Crown Prosecutor did not even call one witness. He said, I don't need any witnesses. What this man said, his sermon was criminal in nature. I am the first and only Canadian citizen to be charged with interfering with the crucial infrastructure under the Defense Act, like terrorism. So what happened, it has never been done in this country before. They put a sermon on trial, and that's what it was, a sermon, word by word. And the Crown Prosecutor was going through line by line, trying to tell the judge what I meant by what I said. He compared my speech to Rwanda, genocide. He compared my sermon to someone that was inciting murder. Can you believe it? I mean, a total insanity. What people do not understand that historically speaking, when the freedom of religion goes, all the other freedoms follow. I mean, freedom of religion is an essential a fundament, uh, a pillar, if you will, in any free and democratic society. When that goes, Freedom of religion, freedom of expression, freedom of the media and other forms of communication, freedom to congregate peacefully. Uh, all of your rights will go away. So that was a shocker. Uh, listening, sitting in the court for two days and just listening to lawyers uh, back and forth.
talking about what you meant by what you said, and then the crown prosecutor comparing it to to to, to a place where hundreds of thousands of people were murdered with machetes. It was a total insanity. So the trial ended. The judge reserved his decision until the second of May. So it's not over for me. I'm facing 10 and a half years of imprisonment. As we're speaking right now, I'm still on the house arrest. Um, so my ordeal is, is not over yet. Well, a couple of things. Firstly, it is remarkable that they put a sermon on trial. I don't know if it's possible, or you might want to wait till after the 2nd of May, but I think the UK column would like to would like to get a, a, a print of that sermon and publish it because that's that's a remarkable data point in the in the surrender of the West to evil is to put a sermon on trial. Um, and I think people would be interested in seeing just what you actually said. Another aspect of this is when you're dealing with the far left, which all these state organizations are and ruled by, um, they they use your vocabulary, but not your dictionary. So they, they they change the meaning of words. Here they're clearly doing it for a reason, to, to get some sort of conviction to silence you. But they do it on a routine basis. And they don't believe in truth. They don't believe in truth versus lies. They just believe in power. And they believe they have the power to change meaning. And the final point is the court deciding on meaning the court deciding on context. We've seen this in Scotland as well, that you can't argue that this is what I meant because the court says, no, no, we, we decide what you meant. We decide, not you, not a jury of your peers. Was it a jury, by the way? Was this a jury trial? No, it was uh, before before the judge. And you're absolutely right, is um, here in Canada, I don't know how the system works in, in UK, but in Canada, uh, the politicians uh, appoint judges. So the judges are not elected. Therefore, they are not working for the people or the justice system. They're working for the politicians that elected them. And the same with chief of police. He is not elected. He is appointed. He works for the mayor. He doesn't work with his uh, force uh, right now, as I call them, the Gestapo, because that's how they're acting. They're no longer peace officers uh, they are uh, SS uh, brown shirts of some sort. Um, they are being appointed by the politicians. So we've lost checks and balances. There is no accountability. A judge can say and do whatever he pleases, and there's absolutely no mechanism right now to remove him from the bench. It's absolute insanity. And of course, when people have that kind of power, that they can get away literally with the murder, which they are, escaping right now, uh, well, you've got a totalitarian regime. That's why I don't call Canada anymore a democratic country, because it's not. We're being run by psychopaths. We're being run by tyrants, lawbreakers, people that do not obey their own rules and regulations. You know, when we were arrested in the middle of the highway with my brother, David, you know, the politicians here in this province, so the premier, the the, the, the biggest guy here, uh, he had a party and he was caught red-handed with his ministers. Whiskey party. Of course, he broke his own rules and regulations, his own mandates, but that's okay because they are the pharaohs. And you, you're just slaves. And one love for me, one love for thee. That's what we are 
experiencing right now in our nation, a lawlessness and a psychopathic individuals that think they're above the law. One of the aspects that you brought out there was the use of the psychiatric um, system to suppress dissent. Now, this has got a long history in the Soviet Union and totalitarian Eastern Bloc. Um, uh, the, there was, at one point, in the Russian equivalent of um, DSM-5, there was a, 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 a recognised um, a mental con condition called denying the obvious achievements of the Soviet Union. So if you if you said that actually the fact that they can't organise you know uh, nails to 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 put bits of timber together because you can only get big nails because the incentivization was all on tonnage, and it's easier to make big nails than it is to make lots of little nails, um, and that they couldn't organise this. That was that was by definition that was insane. That was crazy talk. Um, I mentioned the Holly Gregg case in Scotland. Um, Holly's mother, when she reported the crimes, uh, went down one day to put the bins out and was um, basically jumped by some nice, caring professional people who uh, pulled her pyjamas down in the middle of the street, stuck a needle in the bottom, and she woke up in, um, in uh, Conhill Mental Hospital in Aberdeen, uh, having, been, having been committed because to, to report the abuse. Well, this is crazy because the abuse involves some important people in police and the courts and elsewhere. So this is clearly, clearly she was crazy uh, because it's because of the view that is, is used here is it's an easier, it's an easier conclusion for the weak, for the people who are on the fence to come down on the side of evil and target an individual who is weak, apparently weak, than it is to stand tall and strong and speak the truth and um, and stand for justice. So they go down on the weak side so many so many times. Um, and the use of the psychiatric system to suppress dissent is, a, is an extremely worrying part of, of this story. They tried multiple times to get Robert Greene on this, but they, they, they could never find a psychiatrist that said he was anything other than absolutely stone-cold sane and um, they tried probably a dozen times various various assessments to try and get someone to commit him and they could never find a psychiatrist who would do it but they did try and they kept trying so this is a this is a sign that the system is corrupt at the very core that the system is using lies and and corrupt means to get its way and that any any view of justice any view of what is right and what is wrong, has, has left the building. Um, I'd like to, to finish up, actually, today, just going back to Poland, because I mentioned how I used to write Solidarnosc, age 15, in the margin of my school jotters with a little Polish flag, and I've seen you and others now carrying a, a similar banner call, saying Solidarity with a little Canadian maple leaf flag, also in red and white. Um, and that seems to be an interesting move in support of you, in support of freedom. Can you tell us a little more about that? 
Well, uh, for a man like me and other immigrants that escaped totalitarian regimes, uh, this is a repetition of history. I mean, we've seen this movie before and what we are simply saying is, people, we need to change the script or else. We know what we're talking about. Canadians in majority have never witnessed any dictatorship, have never uh, been under the boots of any totalitarian regime. So for them, it's a shocker. They still uh, don't want to believe that their own elected representatives would sell them for incentives or a bowl of soup. They still have a hard time to comprehend that the doctor means harm uh, for them. But more and more people are waking up. So what we did, we wanted to uh, build a bridge uh, between what happened in 80s in Europe and, of course, what is happening right now all around the world. And Solidarność, Solidarity Movement is the most powerful, you know, I, I've seen it with my own eyes, is the most powerful way to deal with those wannabe virus simply refuse to cooperate. Non-compliance is the most powerful weapon. If enough people would just refuse to work for them, if enough people would just say, no, I'm not going to carry this order because this order is against the law. Um, you know, I, I know, Chief, you want me to do something like this, but that's against constitution. That's against uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That's against human rights. I'm not going to carry that order. But people, unfortunately, they have become so comfortable that I challenge officers, I challenge all kinds of people, and they would come back to me and say, well, I got a mortgage to pay. I got children too. I, I need my job. I need my pension. Well, they don't understand that if those villains will have their way, there will be no pension. Their children are going to suffer everyone will be enslaved. They, they don't get that yet, but more and more people are um, rising up. Their eyes are being opened. They, they are starting to see what's really uh, going on. So we uh, started a solidarity movement, uh, not just here in Canada, but other countries as well, as a reminder. Also, I want to say to people, get involved in politics. Church has to be in the middle of darkness. The, politic the political realm is as dark as it can be now. Why? Because good people refuse to be part of that realm, that mountain of influence, and we've lost them all. We've lost the educational system. It's indoctrination right now. We've lost uh, the truth speakers uh, that were supposed to be. Uh, now we got mainstream propaganda. Uh, we've lost the banking system. We've lost entertainment. Now it's time for the church to rise up and occupy until Jesus comes back. Go there. Run for office. Uh, support godly candidates. Um, when I was released from solitary uh, confinement, I was approached by a party here in the province of Alberta, and they asked me if I would consider running uh, in the next election. And I struggled with that myself because I, I'm just too busy. I wanted to just be a pastor. But I realized uh, they will not allow me to be just a pastor. I have to become a politician as well. So what was chasing me yesterday, I will be chasing again. Uh, you know, uh, I will be chasing tomorrow. So I was elected to be the leader of the Independence Party of Alberta, and I'm running in May for a political office because if we don't replace those snakes, vipers, and scorpions, they will keep biting us, and not just us, but our children. We, as a church, we need to be involved now everywhere. So uh, that's why uh, solidarity was a great reminder. It resonated with the people. Uh, and then what? What now? I always struggled. We, we had 20,000 people every week on our 
you know, protests and rallies, but, but, but then what? So we marched around the city and we made some noise, but, but what? Now what? Well, we need to get involved in a political realm to replace those evil, wicked psychopaths with a good candidate. So that's what we're doing right now. Our party is growing like crazy, like a wildfire. We're going to have a, an amazing candidate all across this province. And I want to encourage you, get involved. Get, do not believe the lie that you have to vote for the lesser of two evils. Good people do not vote for evil. It doesn't matter how small it is. Also, go and bring the light into darkness. Do not believe the lie that Christians should not get involved in politics because the whole Bible is about people that were politicians like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Daniel, like Joseph. They were they were prime ministers like Esther. She was a queen. Mordecai was prime minister. I mean, come on. We need to get involved and bring some justice back into the public square. Who is going to do it? The devil is not going to do it. And he has his minions that are stealing, killing, and destroying. It's time to stop. I am waiting for the remnant to rise up. I'm waiting for God's revolution, if you will, Jesus' revolution, a revival. Well, Arthur, um, it's been it's been a real pleasure talking to you. You mentioned the remnant. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's a there's a paper written uh, by memory serves Albert J. Nock back in the 1930s called Isaiah's Job, all about talking to the remnant. And it says there's only a few things you can know about the remnant. You can be sure they're out there. You can be sure they're listening. And you can be sure that they'll smell a rat. And if you're authentic and you speak the truth and you do so in a manner that's unafraid, they will listen, they will respond. You might not be aware of it, uh, but, the, but the differences that, that, that you make will be tremendous. And your role in being a pastor to the remnant is to encourage them to stand up, to become stronger, to keep going. And uh, I think all of these things you're doing. Uh, your summary that there's no more fence sitting, that at the end, in the, in the final analysis, you stand with Christ or you stand with Satan, is a point that I think bears repeating and repeating. Uh, I think that is, there is no middle ground. You have to choose one side or the other. And the people who think they can be safe in the middle They'll, they'll find out that it's not possible, that the beast, the blob, will come for them too. Uh, the people who think they can control the power of the state will find it'll come for them too. Because it's not a benign institution. It's a satanic institution. And we're seeing it revealed ever more plainly during the COVID years. And as you've attested there, continuing to this day with uh, with its persecution of of you and others uh, a final um, robert green analogy robert green stood for election to publicize the abuse that holly gregg suffered he stood in aberdeen in the constituency where most of the abuse took place he was arrested as soon as he entered the constituency and was giving given a bail order preventing him from entering the town of Aberdeen. So he stood for a, for a Westminster, this is, you know, home of home of democracy, all of that, a Westminster election for a constituency in the city of Aberdeen, whilst being banned from entering the city of Aberdeen. 
So it gets very strange. I'm sure you'll discover even more strangeness. And uh, until we talk again, Arthur, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And just want to finish with this. Um, we already won. Jesus won on the cross and he's telling you, you have already won. And lions, like I said so many times, do not bow before the hyenas. Be lions. Go out there. Keep roaring. And remember, we already won. The enemy just does not know it yet. Be blessed.